We're going to go to the book of, of Ecclesiastes and chapter number 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That's where we're going to read initially. But if you'll find Titus chapter 2 in your New Testament, Titus, excuse me, chapter number 2, and mark that uh, for later. Uh, we'll go over there after a while. So Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Excuse me. And uh, then if you'll find Titus chapter 2 there toward the back of your New Testament and mark that for after a while, it'll help us keep moving this morning. I definitely want to thank everyone that had a part in the Harvest Banquet, uh, whether you were just an attendee or whether you jumped in and helped. It was an amazing thing, truly, that uh, we were able to have the Harvest Banquet in here and we had no stains to clean up. There is a God in heaven, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but thank you to everyone that jumped in and helped. Uh, it was really an amazing thing, the way the auditorium was quickly cleared out and everything set back up. I, I, I want to thank you. I can't thank you enough for just being willing to put out some labor and help in that. And just everything went so smooth. I'm, I just thank God. For, for folks that have a willing heart to help in those things. And it was a good time. And there was a lot of good food. There was a lot of good food. And so thank you for everyone that had a part in that. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. If you'll leave your Bible open there, we're going to visit these verses. And I've entitled the message, A Good Reputation is Worth the Work. A Good Reputation is Worth the work. Let's pray. We'll get right on into it. <clears throat> Father, I am thankful once again for the good crowd that's gathered here this morning and the good spirit that's in this place. We plead the blood of Jesus over uh, this place that you would make it a sanctuary where your spirit can freely move, where the word of life can go out uh, in power, uh, that you might do those things which only you can do. And Father, we pray uh, for those that are listening, even by live stream, that you would deal with our hearts today and help us, help us, Lord, to just be more Christ-like in all that we do. And again, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, only you can speak to them, and we pray that you do that and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us now, Lord, we need your power. We trust in you for it, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. 
Mickey Mantle was a very successful baseball player. He won, uh, he was an American League home run leader four different times. In 1956, he won the Triple Crown on three different occasions. He was voted baseball's most valuable player. That's 56, 57, and 62. He had 536 career home runs. He played in 12 World Series with the New York Yankees and won seven times. And he is the all-time series leader in home runs with 18, RBIs 40, runs 42, and strikeouts 54. In 1994, Mickey Mantle was coming to the end of his life on this earth. And the world was invited to listen in as he, a winner in baseball, admitted that he had struck out in life. He had, in the words of the Apostle Peter, walked in excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. The consequences of the life he lived were now staring him in the face. A liver transplant gave him a short extension to life, but really that, what little hope that brought quickly faded when additional cancer was found in his body. During the final days of his life, Mr. Mantle admitted to those closest to him that he wasn't prepared for death. Though he had known fame, and though he had known all the worldly pleasures that money could buy, he was empty inside. He wished that he had taken a life, taken life a little more seriously and more carefully counted the cost of the lifestyle that he chose to live. And when confronted with death, he finally began to think about the more serious issues of life and eternity. This life is not all there is. It's not all there is. The opening verses here in chapter number 7 could well have been written for Mickey Mantle and those like him who live for the pleasure of the moment, uh, giving little or no thought to the matters of the future. In the scriptures we read this morning, uh, Solomon directs us to a better approach to life. We are going to look at this better approach this morning and next Sunday morning, Lord willing, so as not to keep you too long today. Somebody should have said amen right there anyway. <laughs> this morning we're going to look at the importance of maintaining a good reputation. Because don't ever forget, your reputation will outlast your life. For a fact. Verse number one, a good name is better than, uh, than precious ointment. And the day of death and the day of one's birth. So there's a distinction between a good name and precious ointment. And the word precious is used of that which is costly, uh, valuable, expensive. And a common use of precious perfumed ointments back during this time was for anointing the bodies of the dead. Uh, the smell of death uh, may be somewhat covered with perf perfume, but the stench of a bad reputation cannot <clears throat> so there's also a contrast here between the day of birth and the day of death. At birth, 
For the most part, a child is given a name. But at that point, no great significance can be attached to it. You think about it, the name Adolf Hitler, it meant nothing to the world on the day he was born when they named him. Yet it's likely to never be forgotten because of the brutalities committed in that name during the last few years of Hitler's life. How a person lives between the day of his birth and the day of his death will determine what they are known for after leaving this life. Excuse me. Before they ever began their careers in gospel music, Bill and Gloria Gaither were public school teachers in Alexandria, Indiana. And Bill had grown up in Alexandria and had returned there with his bride, planning to make it their home. And after moving back, he began to look for some property on which he could build their house. And he found what he was looking for just south of the town. It was a piece of property dotted with cattle uh, that, that, that he learned belonged to a 92-year-old a retired banker by the name of Yule. He also learned that others had approached Mr. Yule in times past about purchasing some of the land, and every one of their offers had been rejected. Yule gave the same speech in answer to every request. He said this, it's not for sale. I promised the farmers that they could use it for their cattle. But despite what uh, Bill had learned, he made an appointment to see the retired banker. And he introduced himself and he introduced his wife, explaining that they were interested in buying a portion of his property. And his answer, Mr. Yule's answer was pleasant, but it was very blunt. He just said, not selling. Promise to the farmers for grazing. And Bill answered him at that point and said, I know, but we teach school here. And I thought maybe you'd be interested in selling it to someone planning to settle down in this area. And after a moment, Mr. Yule asked, well, what'd you say your name was? And he said, uh, Gaither, Bill Gaither. And Mr. Yule then asked him, he said, uh, any relation to Grover Gaither? To which he answered, yes, sir, he was my granddad. And Mr. Yule said, that's interesting. Grover Gaither was the best worker I ever had on this farm. He worked a full day's work for a full day's pay. He was an honest man. And so, uh, what did you say you wanted? And Gaither told him that he hoped to buy a little bit of his land. And he said, well, let me do some thinking about that, and then you come back and see me after a while. And Gaither returned a few days later to learn that uh, Mr. Yule was willing to sell him 15 acres, really for a fraction of what the land was worth. And then decades later, Gaither has never forgotten that he raised his family on this beautiful piece of farmland in Indiana, but it had nothing to do with him or his gospel music fame, but because of the good name and a good reputation of his granddad who had worked on that land a generation before him. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. Solomon is impressing upon us the long-term importance of integrity. Integrity. Be more concerned with character 
than reputation. Character is what you are. Reputation is what people think you are. John Wooden said that. Abraham Lincoln said this, reputation is like fine china. Once broken, it's very hard to repair. I thought that was a very good quote. We only have so many days to live on this earth. The Bible tells us that our days are numbered from the womb. And no one's sure how many days that that will be for them. And really, ladies and gentlemen, that that thought just by itself should motivate us to use our days wisely. To live the way that we should be living according to what the Bible has to say about it. D.L. Moody said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. You know, it's really tragic but true that a reputation built up over a lifetime can be uh, devalued by one unreasonable act. Just by one unreasonable act. Joseph Hall said, a reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. Sad but true. So, Solomon goes on to tell us that it's wise to face the fact of death. Now stay with me here. It's wise to face the fact of death early on in life. You young people, listen to me. It's wise to face the fact of death early on in life. Verse number two, it is better to go to the house of mourning than it is to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. So Solomon, in essence, is saying that it's good to spend time at the funeral parlor. Confronted with the reality of death. That we may um, lay to heart the seriousness of life issues. Look, everyone that's in here today and everyone that's watching by live stream is going to face death. It is going to happen. And we don't know when that will be. We don't know. You young people, you have it in your mind. Well, I'm young. I've got a lot of life to live. You don't know that. You don't know that. No, no, we don't know that. We don't know if we'll ever see tomorrow. There's not, no, no, there's not one, there's not one in here that's absolutely sure that they'll ever see tomorrow. We don't know that whatsoever. Death is coming. It is coming. Consider Psalm chapter uh, uh, 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, if we only have a certain amount of days to live, and we're not sure how many that is, we probably should be doing our very best to live them in such a way that when we do uh, lay there at our own funeral, that people won't have to lie about us. That people won't have to wonder who we were and how we lived. No, absolutely sure. Uh, Look, I'm not going to get ahead of myself here. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
So at the judgment seat of Christ, our Savior will be the one judging the quality of our service to Him, the quality of our life. He will be the one judging that. And He will judge it by whether it be good or bad. Come on, the Bible says that. Look, I'm looking forward to going to heaven just as much as anybody else in here. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely so. The songs we sang this morning, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that one day spending eternity in heaven. But I have to remember that before I enter into those gates, I will stand before a, I will stand before a holy God and I will give an account of my life. What I have done with my Christian life. What I have done with the opportunities I had and the talents that I have and on and on, I will give an account of my life whether it be good or bad. Now I'm thankful because I have been saved by the grace of God that I'll not have to answer for my sin. Somebody say amen right there. I'm thankful because in April 1984, I got down on my knees by my coffee table in my apartment in Longview, Texas, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin, and I'll never have to answer for that. I'm very thankful for that. But I must remember that I will stand before God one day, and I will give an account of what I have done, the opportunities He has given me, the talents He has given me. I will answer to Him for the life that I lived as a Christian. It's a good thing for us to remember that. It's a good thing. No, no, it's a good thing for us to keep that in the forefront of our mind. It truly is. Because God does have a way. um, He does have a plan for our life. From the beginning. You are not here by accident. I'm not talking about in this auditorium. I'm talking about in this world. You are not here by accident. God has had a plan for your life before you were ever born. And we need to be thinking about what God would have us to do, how God would have us to live. The life that God has set before us. One Bible commentator said this, when we remember that, remember what? That we're going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ one day. When we remember that, life becomes a tremendous and thrilling thing, for in it we are making or marring a destiny, winning or losing a crown, time becomes the testing ground for eternity. We need to think about what days we have left on this earth. And we need to be working, we need to be working at at making the best of it before we do leave this life. No matter how long or how short that may be. We need to be living every day like it may be our last day because it may be our last day. We need to be living in such a way that we are not going to bring shame to our family name or to God's name for certain. And the sorrow of death is good when it has a purifying effect on the living. That's what he says here, verse number three. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool 
this also is vanity. So by facing the reality of death, the heart can be made better if it motivates us to take the choices and consequences of life more seriously. at a funeral service thinking, what if that was me laying there? What would people be saying about me? What would people be thinking about me? What would my family be saying about me? What would be the thoughts going on in the crowd if I was the one that was laying there? Our life can be made better thinking about those things if it will motivate us to live a better life if it will motivate us to take life more seriously. Death can make us realize that some of the things we may be doing are not going to turn out well in the long run. No, it's a good time to evaluate our own life. Death can also make us realize that there are things so worth living for that they are worth dying for if necessary. Losing your life is not always the same as wasting your life. Jesus said, he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it, over in Matthew chapter 10. But the fool makes a joke at life. That's what it says, verse number five, it is better to hear the rebuke of a wise than than for a man to hear the song of fools. The fools make a joke of life, laughing at the rebuke of the wise. The rebuke of those that are trying to reason with them about righteousness and temperance and, and the judgment to come. Why, why do you people just act like you're better than we are? We're not trying to act better than anybody. Oh, no, 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 no. But as Christian and living a life of a Christian... God has taught us some things, given us some wisdom that we want to pass on to others because we want people to live a good godly life. Come on, we want people to be blessed during this lifetime. Uh, We want them to be uh, left with a good reputation in life. It's not that we're trying to, it's not that we're trying to, it's not that we're trying to to, uh, uh, think that we're better than anybody else. We're just trying very hard when we see things that are out of line with what God would have them to do, we're trying very hard to help them to get in line with what God would have for them. You know, it's really something during the holiday season and, and uh, 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 <clears throat> when you gather together with family, when you gather together with unsaved family, how the conversations can turn in a way that you never really wanted them to turn. And you're realizing that because God saved your soul that, my, you're living a, such a much better life than you could have ever lived without Him. Amen. Come on, I'm not trying to be ugly toward anybody, any family, whatever, but no, no, no. And we see, no, no, we see the mistakes of those that continue to live for the world and not live for God. We see the mistakes of those that, that think they're getting by with something uh, in this world that they're really not going to get by with when, it, when they face eternity. And we see things that sadden us and we want so badly for them just to learn that there is a God in heaven and that He does help us if we want Him to and that we can live a life completely different 
different than, than the life that, that this world has to offer. And it's going to turn out so much better while we are here and for eternity also. So much better. And we want them to live that life. And many times they just laugh at us. They think we're the foolish ones. But the laughter of those that live recklessly is, well, he said, as the crackling of thorns under a pot. What in the world's that supposed to mean? Well, if you gather up a bunch of bramble bushes, thorns, for a fire, and you light them up under your pot, you're going to cook up something. Bramble bushes, uh, when you light them up, they flare up really quickly and they crackle. They're very noisy, but they also die out quickly, very quickly. That's how Solomon characterizes the laughter of the ungodly. It may be noisy, their life may be noisy, may be filled with the the heat of unrestrained passions, just doing whatever they want to do, living however they want to live, going wherever they want to go, but it's short-lived. Really, no matter how many years they live, it's short-lived. Because our years of life on this ball of dirt are just a dot compared to eternity. A man may laugh all the way to the grave, but if he lives the life of a fool, he will quickly be sobered when he meets God face to face. It's going to be a sobering time, without a doubt. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And look at verse number 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Christian, the knowledge that we are saved and on our way to heaven ought to motivate us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Let me give you a couple things to consider. It may be that there are things in our past which tarnish our reputation. Things in our past. But if you're saved by the grace of God, those things are forgiven. They're forgiven. They're not only forgiven, but they're forgotten by our great God. And that which has been forgiven by the Lord needs to be forgotten. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So we just have to leave the past in the past. Pastor, you don't understand. I, I'm telling you, I've got, I've got, you, you don't, man, I'm telling you, my past, it just seems like it, boy, I'm just, I wish I could change some things. Me too. Me too. But I can't. I can't change anything that I did back there. I can't change it. I can't change it. What I have to remember is that that has been forgiven. And I need to do my best just to forget it. And to keep going forward. Because you can't go forward if you're always looking back. You can't do that. And so, so we just need to forget those things for which we've been forgiven to the best of our ability. And know that God's not the one that's bringing them up to us when they're brought up because he's forgotten about those things forgiven and forgotten by the grace of God through our repentance and consistent godly living we can establish a reputation for Christ-like character come on we, we it, it can be said of us that person's a real Christian that person did their best to live a Christ-like life that person did their best to get people to Jesus Christ That person did their best to live, uh, not according to this world, but according to what God would have them to do. Come on, we have to remember the Apostle Paul was once a murderer. And he even labeled labeled himself to be the chief of sinners. But no one thinks of him that way today. No. And as Christians, we not only have our own names to maintain, but also the name of Jesus. We call ourselves Christian. It just means Christ-like. We're identifying with Him. Claiming the name Christian, we're identified with our Savior. And by our membership in a church, we are identified with His mission. We're identified with His ministry. And we should be honored to wear those names and take great care to live up to them. In everything that we do, and everywhere we go, And even when we're alone, we need to take great care for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's the life of a Christian. No matter what we do, we do it to the glory of God. No matter where we are, we live to the glory of God. No matter who we're around, we, we live our life to the glory of God. We are going to live in such a manner that will not shame His name and will not bring shame to our own name. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We live in a different time. Here we are in the 21st century. There's all types of churches spread across our nation that pretty much have the mindset, just live any way you want to. God loves you anyway. Now, it is absolutely the truth that God loves us. No, no, He loves us. He loves us us that are saved. 
And he loves those that are lost. Yes, God loves us. But you can't read too far into your Bible without getting the notion that once we know Christ is our Savior, he expects us to live a different life, a different lifestyle. He expects us to live in a different way. He expects us to be a light that shines in this dark world. He expects us to be salt that savors, that, that, that flavors the things that we are around. He expects that from us. And we are, if we are naming the name of Christ, we are to, to depart from the old life and to live a life that is uh, going to bring glory to him. My dad was a tremendous horse trainer. He, he could he could he could he could make a horse he could make a horse do anything. It was it was really something. Very talented in that way. And he was the nicest guy you'd really ever want to meet unless he was drinking. And he drank a lot. He trained a lot of horses. He worked with a lot of people in that industry. And uh, as his life went on and his drinking got more and more to be more and more, um, he pretty much... uh, didn't care about his reputation. I can remember sitting in a cafe in a small town in Oklahoma years and years ago, even before I got saved. Sitting in a cafe, and somebody, somebody that I was with mentioned my name, and somebody that was real close to us said, Bill Marshall, are, are you related to Bill Marshall, the horse trainer? Are you related to him? I said, yeah, it's my dad. And he started cursing and saying all types of bad things about my dad, which were pretty much all true. They were all true. I hate it. And all I could do because I knew what the guy was saying was true, I just said, you're right. You're exactly right. I don't know if the guy would have ever said any of that stuff to my dad's face. But he did say it to a crowded cafe. But it was my dad's reputation. I didn't like hearing it. But he had uh, brought it on himself by the manner that he lived. Fourteen years after I got saved, my dad got saved. After being a, a drunk all of his life.
He lived four years after that. He was different because salvation changes you. No, no, real salvation changes your life. It changes your life. It changes you. Four short years, he was a different man. I stood at his funeral, preached his funeral, stood there, preached his funeral. There were a lot of old cowboys there, big crowd. His favorite horse was there. It's the only funeral I ever preached with a horse being there. There he was there. Absolutely so. It's what Dad wanted. Talking to those guys, those old cowboys after the funeral, preaching the gospel to them, talking to them after the funeral. Nobody had anything bad to say about Dad. Fair dealings. But only four short years of his life. How we live does make a difference. And it, it is really true that Christendom, Christians, for a big part, have a bad name. Don't they? Well, old, old Joe says he's a Christian, but I, I've, I've been around him at work, and if that's what a Christian is like, I don't need to be a Christian. I'm just as good as that. Come on, you ever heard something like that? I hate my past, but I don't want to be remembered for all that. But we have to choose. We have to choose what our reputation is going to be when it comes that time that we do leave this life. We have to choose. It takes work. Definitely so. But a good reputation is worth the work. Definitely worth the work. Warren Buffett said it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to run it. And then he went on to say this. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. Shouldn't we want people to be able to look at us and say, now that's a real Christian. Shouldn't we want when we finally depart this life, shouldn't we want those that are left behind to have positive good things to say about us isn't it right that we would not waste our time 
we have here on earth. We should, should not waste that time living in such a way. that there will be regrets when we do stand at the judgment seat of Christ? But it takes making right decisions. And sometimes it just takes the decision from this point forward I am going to do my very best to live my life differently. Come on, a decision like that in life can change the rest of your life if we get serious with God about it. There's not a doubt. Would you bow your heads with me For just a moment, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed for just a moment. No one looking around in respect of the Lord, respect of others around you for just a moment. It may be someone's here this morning that would say, Preacher, I need to make some life decisions. And I know I do. I know I do. So preacher, would you just pray for me? Because I know there's some things I need to change. I know there is. Would you please just pray for me? That with God's help, I can get these things done. Well, I'd like to pray with you that way this morning. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. Would you let me pray with you that way? Would you just slip up your hand wherever you're at and allow me to pray with you that way? Would you do that? God bless you there and there. God bless your honesty there and there, cross there. Others, that's me, preacher. I I need to change some things. I know I do. I know I do. Would you please just remember me in prayer? I want to do that right there. God bless your heart. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Others, before we move on, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, I promise you. I just want to pray for you that you make the right decisions, whatever needs to be done. Anyone else before we move on? Yeah, that's me, preacher. Please pray for me right there. God bless you. Could be there's someone in here and say, preacher, I don't know if I even know Christ as my Savior. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've ever truly been born again by the Spirit of God. I don't know that I have that settled. Preacher, would you please just remember me in prayer? Are you like that this morning? Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? Would you let me do that? God bless your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Let's stand to our feet. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy toward us. I don't know the needs in people's lives. I don't, even act, I don't even want to act like I do. But you know the need in every life. And I pray for folks. I pray, dear God, that you'd give them the strength to the wherewithal to make the decisions they need to make that would help them for the rest of their days on this planet. That would help them to maintain a good reputation. 
a godly reputation. Lord, whatever needs to be done, I pray that you'd help them with that. And I pray for those in here that do not know Christ as their Savior. I pray they'd even come this morning. They'd walk an aisle. They'd come this morning and let us take a Bible and show them how they can have that settled. Lord, whatever needs to happen in the next few minutes ahead, we pray that it would be done, that your will would be done. And we'll thank you for whatever goes on, for we ask it all in the perfect name of Jesus Christ. Piano's going to play. Some have already made their way to the altar, and you need to come this morning. Why don't you take a minute? Come talk to the Lord. Maybe some decisions need to be made in your life. Be a good time to make those. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you'd come this morning, we'd be happy to take you aside, take a Bible, and show you how you can have that settled. Most important decision you'll ever make in this life is knowing for sure you've been saved by the grace of God because it is life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Folks are coming. You need to come. Let God have His way today. Would you do that? Whatever He wants to do, whatever He has for you, just let Him have His way.